we end up on Father's Day in a study on marriage and specifically on the role of fathers in marriage. And I want to remind you as we look back a little bit, because it's extremely important that we do not pick up the world's view of the word submit or submission as we studied last week. Last week we spent the entire morning on one verse. Um, We're not doing that this week because you guys can go online and get that study. You can go back in the back and pick up a CD. But remember the submission that we're talking about is submissive faith in Christ. It is submission to the headship, really, of Jesus Christ. And it is submission to the will, the words, and the way of the Lord. It's not submission to a person. It's submission to God. And because God is a God of order, and because God has established structure throughout his creation, you you need only look at creation and you can understand that God is a God of order. Uh, you can look at your own body and see that. You can look at the star systems and see that. You can look at the way plants function and see order. God does everything very, very, very well. We can expect no less in his description of marriage. As he defines for us what marriage really looks like and how it functions. And as he specifically talks this morning really about the role of, of fatherhood and about being a husband, we're going to see something that needs to be highlighted and needs to be brought forward so that we understand exactly what the Lord's plan is. The Lord's plan is actually that he is the head of everything. That in all things we consider what he wants, what he desires, how he would handle things, what he would say, how he would say it. And so if you key in right now to a single thought, and you bring that thought forward in each thing that we look at this morning, you're going to be okay. Because if you cannot imagine the Lord Jesus Christ himself acting, thinking, speaking the way that you are going to speak it, think it, or say it, then you're probably off a little bit. The standard is Christ. The standard for love is Christ. The standard for relationships is Christ. The standard for parenting is Christ. The standard for all human interaction is Christ. The standard for you in the workplace is Christ. And the way we chiefly know Christ is by knowing his word. Amen? knowing what his word declares about the truth that he's already spoken to us. And then subsequent to that is the work of the Holy Spirit through prayer and through the counsel of godly people. As we begin this morning, I want to also draw your attention to this is a description of Christian marriage. And it only works when both people love Jesus. It should be the standard irregardless, and it is the standard for the believer even if married to an unbeliever, but it is phrased, it is pointed at, and directed to those of us where both husband and wife know Jesus as Lord. And so as we begin this morning... Verse 21 last week said, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The New Living Translation says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Young's literal translation puts it this way, subjecting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. And the New American Standard phrases it this way, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So no matter which translation you pick, it becomes pretty clear that the focal point is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we spend this day celebrating fatherhood, Lord, I want to ask your blessing upon those this morning that are fathers, those that will be fathers. Lord, those that are missing their fathers, would you touch their hearts? And God, for the many that have not seen this godly fatherhood lived out in their lives and maybe even came this morning hurting, God, would you mend their hearts? Would you tend their souls? God, would you bless us as we study your word? And Lord, we pray that all things in this place today would bring you glory. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for looking down upon our plight from heaven and taking care of our every need. Lord, we love you. And if we leave this place with but one father, we have you in heaven who loves us as his dear children. May we cling to you. May we learn from you. Would you bless us? We ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. And so, as we review just briefly, the relationships that we have in marriage between husband and wife are built on really the headship of Jesus Christ. And the only way to really have that is to bring the order and structure that we see in the Godhead into our homes. As I shared with you last time we were together, it's very easy to see in the life of Jesus himself. Because he came, as I shared with you last time, John's gospel is full of the illusion, full of the reference to it. Jesus came to this earth not with his own plan and not with his own will. Amen? And yet he was God. Jesus was and is and remains to this day fully God. And yet he submitted to God the Father. And so submission, as we saw last time, is not a bad thing. And it does not make the one submitting of less value than the one being submitted to. Because if God is God and Jesus is God and Holy Spirit is God, if they in subjection to one another, in submission to one another, find no problem with submitting, then in marriage, how tough really is it for us to submit? Because we're submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think it's very, very, very important that as we look back just a little bit, that we recognize that's the supreme authority. And that's why I say to you things like this. Every argument can be solved by Jesus as Lord. Amen? Think about it for a second. If you are, as husband and wife, are in disagreement about something, let's pick it. Uh, the husband wants an SUV, the wife wants a red sports car, and I'm using something frivolous, okay, for the point. And you go down to the car dealership, and, and you're standing there, and the husband has picked out this lifted SUV that's got gun racks on it and extra KC lights, and it's got, you know, it's painted camo. And the wife goes over, and there it is, the red Ferrari. And it happens to be on sale for $29.95. And, and she walks over, but honey, you, you see, 
the husband's not going to be able to say that Jesus is Lord by going, well, I just want what I want. After all, I made the money. Here's how we know that. The earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. Amen? The sheep, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. Does he ever beat you up with his ownership? He doesn't. I don't wake up in the morning and there's, you know, a note. Jeff, everything you have belongs to me. You better take care of it today. And by the way, I want you to do exactly what I want. God blesses me provisionally, even though he actually owns everything. Husbands, you are to bless your wives provisionally, no matter whether the money came from your paycheck or her paycheck or Uncle Bob's stuff, whatever. God owns everything. We look at it that way. It's not his and it's not hers. And because he brought home money than more money than she did, which is not always the case anymore. Amen. Because if it turns out to be you're going to have arguments every time somebody says, well, I make more money than you or you make more money than me, then you're going to have arguments probably every day about that thing. But if you bring an interject into that situation, Jesus is Lord. What would God want? We're going to find that the answer to that is, and husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it by the Ferrari. Well, maybe not, but it was rolling pretty good, don't you think? No, sometimes we go to battle and we die over issues that are simply not issues in God's economy and in God's way of thinking. When Jesus is Lord, the prevalent thing that comes into your relationship is how does this best express the love of God? What can I say? What can I do that says the Lord loves me and the Lord loves you and I love you the way the Lord loves you? If you do that, you're not going to have a whole lot of arguments going on. You see, when two people are trying to outlove each other, it's pretty much heaven on earth. And so we submit to the headship and to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I would say to you that every relational problem, uh, every counseling issue, I can tell you, as someone who's counseled thousands of people, I can tell you that every relational problem ultimately comes down to Jesus Christ as Lord between two Christians. Are you going to yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or are you going to be Lord? You see, because guys, if it's going to be you're going to be king of the castle, you're going to have problems. If you're going to use that power that you have as head in your home, to lord over your wife, then you're going to be lord, Jesus won't, and you're going to have problems. Jesus would never do that, and he did not do that. Think of the example of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say, don't they know I'm God? Don't they realize that I made all the money in their bank? Did I bought their houses for them? I, I, you know, I put the bacon on the table for two and a half millennia prior to me coming here, and they don't appreciate me. 
And yet at times I hear that out of husbands. The standard is Christ. The love that we seek to aspire to in our marriages is that of Jesus Christ. So we submit to that authority, each other. And notice my note here to you. Husband's not Lord. Wife's not Lord. Is there anything punitive in the relationship between Father God, Jesus the Son, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives? The answer is a simple word, two letters, begins with N, ends with O. No. There's nothing punitive. Jesus did not come to the earth and go, I'm going to square these guys away. And I'm going to make life miserable for them until they get it. He, in fact, said, I didn't come to this earth to condemn this world. The world was already condemned through sin, but I came to save it. You see, that's a picture of marriage. That's how we function as believing couples on this earth. Because God could have simply commanded us to do exactly what he said. Amen? He's sovereign God, isn't he? Trust me. You don't want to learn this lesson the hard way. You do not want to challenge God. I'm not going to do it, and you can't make me. And I have an opinion, and it disagrees with yours. You don't want to do that with God. But the good news is, is that he administers that in grace, mercy, and love. Amen? He doesn't just look at you, and every time you're rebellious, you know, it's like you're wearing the doggy shock collar. It's like, you know. Now, the Holy Spirit does kind of prick you every once in a while. But the simple fact of the matter is the motivation that everything for everything that God does is love. That's how he functions, period. Pick up now in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say just simply submit. That chauvinist, misogynist view of the husband's always right and the wife's always wrong is not biblical. It does not come from the Bible. What it says is, submit as to the Lord. Very important, keep that in view. Because that's the thing that's struggled over in our society today. Because for a very long time, there has been an improper teaching on the word submit. And that improper teaching is, if the husband is being a complete knucklehead, a total dope, he's going to drive off a cliff, and the wife knows that the cliff is there, she's to keep her mouth shut. And they'll certainly learn something by going over the cliff. That's not from God. It does not come from your Bible. It says, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then it's going to go on and very clearly tell us how this works, because the rest of this is going to be about fathers. It's going to be about husbands. It's going to be about us men. And we are going to be given the tougher task. Now, the result of that tougher task is very obvious. 
Because if you ladies are loved the way you should be loved, you're going to have no problem saying, man, my husband's listening to Jesus. I'm going to follow what he says. I'm going to go that direction because he's hearing from the Lord. He's acting like Jesus. Everything he does and says is motivated by a love for God, an understanding of his word, an intense prayer life, and a life that is clearly governed by God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. For his body, for which he is Savior, and now the church submits to Christ, and so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And here's the problem with the misunderstanding of headship. Because headship is the issue. Ultimately, Somebody has to have the final word. Amen? Have you ever been in a situation to where you simply can't agree? It's a miserable place to be. And so all the Lord is doing is saying that at some point in time, when push comes to shove, barring there's no open rebellion to God's word, and remember, these instructions are to Christians, where both husband and wife know the Lord Jesus, because it doesn't work if you've got one standard over here and another standard over there. The one who is the saved person in an unequally yoked relationship is supposed to be the model of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but the practical application of this passage only works when both of you are hearing from God. Here's why. How many gods are there? How many wills do they have? Notice I said they, because there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Three persons. Do you think Father God is going to tell you something different than Jesus the Son or the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. You're going to get the same message from all three parts. And so in in marriage, if you are both attempting to live out the lordship of Jesus Christ, how many heads are going to be in your marriage? One. Now, is that a tough concept? Yes, because we're failed and we're human and we make mistakes. But ultimately... Somebody has to answer to God. Elizabeth Elliot said it well. She said the best thing a woman can do for her husband is to make it easy for him to follow Jesus. So ladies, you want to help your husband? Help him follow Jesus. Doesn't mean you have to sit down, lay down, and have no voice. That is not what Scripture says. Doesn't mean you have to be silent on every issue. But it does mean that what you bring into the conversation is also governed by God. Because sometimes the disagreements turn into, well, I just have a different opinion. And if that's the problem, then that's lack of lordship. Because if the husband's got to listen to every single dissenting opinion on everything, simply because you have one, then you are not submitting as Jesus Christ is Lord. Give the opinion, let it sink in, do what Jesus tells you to do. You're going to be fine. Sometimes people get into problem in marriage because they want to absolutely define what this means. I'm not trying to absolutely define it. I'm trying to give you the tool necessary for you to examine it yourself. 
Look at that situation in marriage, and can you say that every word I spoke, every thought I had, every action I undertook spoke the name of Jesus? And if you can't do that, then adjust. Simply move back to the Lordship of Jesus. You see Jesus Christ as the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it describes... God is the head of Christ. Amen? And Christ is the head of man, and man is head of the woman. Why do you suppose that is? Because ultimately, there has to be some way for there to be an end to virtually everything that's going to be discussed. There has to be. Otherwise, you end up with division. Otherwise, you end up with three plans instead of one. Otherwise, you end up with conflict that goes unresolved. There has to be an end, and that end is Jesus Christ as Lord. It's that simple. So if the issue is something that is not with implication eternally, in other words, ladies, your your husband is asking you to... uh, go out to dinner at a restaurant maybe you don't like, that's not an eternal issue. Okay? It's okay. And it goes the other way, by the way. And we'll get to the other side of it in a moment. That's not an eternal issue. Just simply say, it would bless me, honey, to go there. If it is an issue where there's maybe a marginal disagreement about something that's a little bit bigger, Is not God able to speak to your husbands? The answer is yes. I think sometimes we talk too much and we don't pray enough. Pray for your husband. Yes, we're dense and we are knuckleheads at times. Men are like that. I know there was a lot of amens. You didn't want to say it because your husband's sitting next to you, but men say amen. Amen. We are. We're, We're kind of knuckleheads at times. But what we don't need is to be slapped around with how dumb we are. We need to be prayed for. We need to be lifted up before the throne of grace and issues not made out of things that are not issues. Doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. It simply means that ultimately there's got to be a single headship in the home. There has to be. Otherwise, there's going to be a division in your home. It's real easy to see. If there's one, how many parts are there? One. If there's two, how many parts are there? Two. And if those two don't disagree, what do we call that? Division. Amen? If there's two unresolved issues, that's divisive. There has to be a way way to resolve everything. There is. Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't need to go to the, the final nth degree on everything. And I think a lot of people do that. And they do it sometimes for the wrong reason. That's both men and women. We're going to get our way by being punitive. We're going to get our way by being contradictory. We're going to get our way by being conflictory. We're going to get our way by simply making it so miserable that they're going to give in. That's not Jesus, okay? It's not. You you could not hang that on the Jesus tree. You can hang that on the flesh tree. That's what your flesh does. Flesh says, I'll manipulate the situation. And both men and women do this. I will manipulate the situation by making it 
enough of a problem that eventually the spouse will give up. That's not Jesus. It's not his lordship. And guys, if you have the father knows best, leave it to Beaver. Your wife is supposed to greet you at the door with your pipe, your paper, and your slippers. You need to take that idea outside, shoot it. Because sometimes your wife worked harder than you did that day. Maybe you should bring her her slippers, hopefully not a pipe. Actually, hopefully neither one of you a pipe. Yeah, what we do, we do motivated out of love. Not out of some schedule. Not out of some, you know, repetitive behavior. When you do something over and over and over again because you just do it that way, it doesn't take love. It just takes good scheduling. That's, that's not why we act the way we do in marriage. The motivator is sacrifice. The motivator is service. The motivator is that we want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. And so it simply says that the man ultimately has to answer to God. Somebody has got to be the final word in those things that matter. And make sure that they're things that matter and not things that don't matter. There's a wonderful word that has a negative connotation, but it's a wonderful word nonetheless. It's the word compromise. Compromise is a wonderful, wonderful tool. Because anyone that tries to get everything will ultimately get nothing. It's that simple. If you want everything, you're going to get nothing because you're going to live a life that is miserable because you're not going to get everything you want, ever. Anybody that's been married for any length of period of time will tell you that without compromise, marriage becomes pretty difficult. You have to sit down and say, is this really something that I want to make an issue? And if you make it an issue... It ought to be an issue because it's an issue of love, not because it's an issue of an issue. Notice how the headship that Jesus Christ has over us plays out. Service. Amen? He came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Amen? He came to sacrifice. He didn't come to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him, who put him on the cross. That's sacrifice. You get in the picture where this is going, guys? That's the standard we have in marriage of how we're supposed to live our lives as we love our wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church unto death. Amen? That's the example. That doesn't sound like, well, I'm just going to get what I want because I can my view counts more because I put more money in the checking account last month. I can't tell you how many problems there are in marriage because of that thought. The, the divided up resources. The, well, that's your money and this is my money. Here's how to solve it. Whose money is it actually? Uh-huh. And so what right do any of us have to abuse God's money? Do you think God would say that kind of thing to his bride, you? 
He doesn't, ever. We don't say it to each other either, ever. He administers in grace and mercy, does he not? Remember the twin bookends. Grace means God's unmerited favor at Christ's expense. Amen? So we get what we do not deserve in grace. We get what we do not deserve because of grace. Amen? Say amen. Mercy is the flip side of that. We do not get what we do deserve. They're not the same. They are very different. They are of the same concept because the same concept is Jesus loves us. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Grace on one side gives us all the benefits and blessings, and mercy on the other side saves us from the judgment and the justice of God. Isn't that awesome? That's how you've been loved in Christ in marriage. And that's how we are to love each other. I willingly give what my spouse has not earned. Because that's what Jesus does for me. And I do not give what she has earned. Well, you know, the vacuum cleaner does not fit my hand. That basket of socks, I mean, come on. You see, it solves the lordship of Jesus Christ, solves every issue. I do believe Jesus would fold socks. Jesus would pick up a vacuum cleaner. Jesus would do anything for you. And he would do it all the time for you. Because he is gracious and he is merciful all the time. You get the picture? This is how it works out practically. Jill Briscoe said in a great book, Loving Our Husbands, says a man of quality is never threatened by a woman of equality. That's so true. When I'm solid in who I am in Christ Jesus, there's nobody that's a threat to me on this planet, and certainly not the one for whom I'm supposed to die if necessary. And that's why I can tell you that the view that is often put forth from these verses, which I believe borders on heresy, and that's that you, you, can't, you can't do whatever. You shouldn't do whatever. You, you can't go wherever. You have to have all kinds of rules and regulations that define, well, this is the wife's tasks, and at the end of that, that's it. And she isn't allowed into these areas of life. And the husband has his place in the family. You simply don't see that in the headship of Jesus Christ. Nobody's a doormat. Nobody gets abused. Nobody gets beat up. We all live in that same place, that place of grace. Amen? Take that as the solid background here. We're active participants in working out the will of God in our homes. Verse 25 goes on, and now we can clean this up. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He's Savior of the body. And therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands and everything's, And then it goes on and it gives exactly how this functions. 
Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now do you see how that headship plays out? That is an authoritarian domination. That isn't my way of the highway. That isn't, this is my castle and I'm the king and you are my servant. This is, if necessary, I will expend everything, including my own life, in making sure that you understand exactly how much I love you. Now, ladies, if your husband actually lived that out, how in love will you be with them? I'm guessing pretty much to the death from the other side as well. If the husband comes home and lives every breath of his life for the benefit of his bride, because that's what Jesus did for us, didn't he? That's the standard. The standard is Jesus came to this earth while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly, not the obedient, not the absolutely submissive people that we should have been. He died for us while we were yet sinning, is actually what it says. So headship and operation is like this. It's death to self. It's the other person always matters first. Who mattered first to Jesus? You. Not his own self. He was God. When Jesus walked into Pilate's court, he could have looked at Pilate and Pilate would have dropped over dead. He was God. He could have just simply walked into the courtyard. Look, Pilate, I created you. You know what? Your great, 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 great grandparent, Adam, was a pile of dirt. Okay? I made you out of dirt. He could have done that. But he didn't exercise that supreme authority, did he? What he did was show us exactly what love looks like. He said, even though you guys are sinners, even though you're wrong, even though when you have opportunity you do the wrong thing, I'm going to do the right thing. That's how headship works out. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might make us saints. He might sanctify us. Do you realize if Jesus hadn't died on Calvary's cross, none of us are going to heaven? You get that part? So husbands, you know what that means? You die to yourself in your marriage relationship so that your family can be more saintly. So that your wife will know what it's like to see sacrificial love in view in your life. That the things that you do and the things that you say so speak of the love of Christ that she'll look at the way you live your life and go, my husband is just like Jesus. Now, ladies, that is why you're going to see you are to respect your husbands. Because that is an order so tall that probably none of us in this room are ever going to achieve it in our lifetime. But it is the goal. We as Christian husbands have been called to outlove our wives. To live our lives in such a way that our lives could be pointed to 
and said, there's nothing more my husband could have done to love me than what he did. Now you know why when I say headship is somebody's got to finally be an authority. The authority is Jesus. Because that task is frankly impossible in my flesh. Because I wake up in the morning and it's just like, you know, we look at life in general and we go, I can't believe that happened. And, you know, why is this that way? If I simply look at it through my own human ability and I judge that situation by my own human ability, then I'm going to do exactly what pleases me and not what pleases God and certainly not what sacrificially shows love to my wife. Does that mean that we all wake up in the morning and we have no love for ourselves? Certainly not, and that's where this goes. But as husbands, we need to be willing to do anything and everything necessary to make sure that our wives know exactly how much we love them. That's a healthy, spirit-led relationship. Remember, this is the contrast between being filled with wine and being filled with the Spirit. That's how this started, amen? You can only be filled with one thing at a time. Life, life is good, but life is also difficult at times. Amen? We need to recognize that the answer to those difficulties is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot, which is external, or wrinkle, which is internal, or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. What the Lord is saying to us, guys, is that our whole goal is to be so like Jesus that we have an effect on our families, we have an effect on our wives, that that effect is this, that by being around us, they become more like Jesus too. That's a tall order. And it's a lifelong endeavor that we aspire to. Notice the word present or presentation. It is a picture. And that picture is like this. The picture says that the ultimate, ultimate goal is to wrap up our family, first of all our wives, in so much Jesus that we can say, look, here's Jesus to the world. To present our spouses to present our wives holy, spotless, blameless, that we have done everything to protect our, our spouses from the effects of the world externally and from the effects of the internal things that attack us all. Amen? Make sure that we get that. Make sure that we understand that. Because being a godly husband means that you're going to produce godliness in your marriage as well. You're going to be the example of what it means to be Christ-like. I use here really the picture of baptism, but what's really being said is, ultimately, is not the church the bride of Christ? Think about it for a second. Isn't the church the bride of Christ? What's going on in your life right now as a Christian? You're becoming more like Jesus. Why? Because one day you're going to be presented to Jesus. Amen? As the bride of Christ, marriage, supper of the Lamb. You're all going to hang out there. 
One day that trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ will rise. We who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. We're all going to heaven to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the picture here. We're supposed to be doing a little bit of that right now. Now let me tell you how that works out. Husbands, what expense do you spare uh, in the wedding venue? Uh, None is the answer to that. You, you take and make that as special an event as you possibly can. People pour every resource mentally, spiritually, emotionally, provisionally into that wedding day. They're looking forward to that day when the vows are exchanged. That day is coming for you as a family and for us as a church. That's the picture. There's nothing that we shouldn't do to make sure that that day is wonderful. Wouldn't it be awesome if the entire church got to the wedding supper of the Lamb without much transformation necessary? Amen? We got there and we're almost there. We're nearly perfect. Because here's what happens. Can you imagine a bride on her wedding day? In the morning, she decides she's going to go for a mountain bike ride in mud. Completely spattered with mud. It's going to take a lot of preparation to get ready for the wedding, amen? Husbands, we're to clean up the trail. We're to make sure that, that we're doing what we can to make sure our wives aren't getting dirty. They're not getting muddy. They're not getting messed up prior to the wedding day. We go out. We take. We ride first. We get covered with mud. They get to come in when it's dried up. And so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Face it, guys, we love ourselves. My favorite person is me. At the beginning of every day, most of us don't get up and, boy, I sure hope I can do something for my... The first thing we're thinking about, where's the food? It's too cold in here, too hot in here. We think about ourselves. It's a a natural part of the way God has actually made us. We have a concern for our own selves, don't we? And what's being said here is, you're supposed to have an equal concern for your spouse based on the fact that you do love you. I can tell, because you guys feed yourselves, amen? If your wives aren't there to cook for you, what do you do? You go in and raid the kitchen. You'll figure something out. Why? Because you don't want to die. That's a certain healthy self-love. You know, if she's going to be gone for ten days, you're going to croak before she gets back if you don't take care of yourself. There is a healthy amount of self-love that each one of us has that says, you know what, I need to do what I should do to take care of myself. That is supposed to extend fully and completely to your wife. You not only do what is right and necessary for yourself, but that same thought process that drives you to get up in the morning and make sure that you are taken care of, it should be the same for your wife. In other words, it is an equivalency. I would do no less for her than I would do for myself, is the example. No less. You know how much arguing I do with myself? Well, not as much as I used to, but none, basically. You know how much beating up of myself I do? I don't beat myself up. Some people do. I don't beat myself up. I don't create problems for me, is the general rule, knowingly anyway. 
I don't disrespect myself. I don't abuse myself. I don't wake up in the morning and slap myself. It's like, think about it. It's a very, very, very deep analogy of the love that we are to have in marriage. I should not do anything to my spouse, towards my spouse, other than that which I myself would want to receive in like manner for the same reason. Why? For we are members of His body, His flesh, His bones. And for this reason, repeats what Genesis chapter 2 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For this is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Notice he makes it very clear. He says, you already know what this is like. This is what Jesus did for you. Nevertheless, let each one of you so in particular love his own wife. And that word there for love is agapeo. It means love unto death. It means love sacrificially. It means love asking nothing in return. It is the type of love that will even be spit on and abused itself for the well-being of the other. Very, very clear. It's love and it is respect. And let the wife so see that she respects her own husband. You, you see, that type of a life lived out is a pretty glorious life in marriage. It, what it does is it takes all of those little things and makes sure that they're identified as little. And notice the final verse here, verse 33. And nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Because I know you all love each other, love your wives that way. Be kind, be gentle, be merciful, be tender, be long-suffering. Because you don't like it when people judge you too quickly, amen? You see how it applies? It is so easy to apply to everything. Doesn't mean the implementation of it is necessarily easy, but the standard is easy to understand. Would Jesus say it? Would Jesus do it? Would Jesus act that way? Would that be his motivation? You see, it does boil down to a couple of very key things. It's undying love. And it is respect for the attempt to be like Jesus. Not easy to be like Jesus. Men, we fail at being like Jesus sometimes, don't we? I do. Maybe you all don't, but I do. Sometimes I fail miserably, miserably at being like Jesus. Thank the Lord that it's not anywhere near as often as it used to be, and it's nowhere near as severe as it used to be, but I still fail. I, I think, you know what, that was the wrong thought to have. That wasn't loving. That wasn't kind. That wasn't gentle. Why am I speaking these words this way? Because God is never unkind to us. He is never abusive to us. Even when He chastens us, He chastens those whom He loves. Amen? And so if the goal is, the standard is to 
make sure that we know how much he loves us, even when he has to say something to us that we may not want to hear, he does it in such a way that we would understand that he loves us. So if there's a difficulty in marriage, we resort to love. If there's a difficulty in marriage, we resort to respect. You see, you know what? That is a respectable way to handle that situation, given whom I am in Christ. Given what Jesus did for me, this is how he would act in that situation. It'll do away with spousal abuse. It'll do away with justification of your bad actions. It'll do away with the improper things, and it will bring forward the face of Jesus. And ultimately, just like the woman at the well, just like the prodigal son, all those examples that we have in Scripture of God's wooing love, the more we're like Jesus, the easier it is to love us. And that kind of love grows. That kind of love produces respect, doesn't it? I respect the Lord. He did for me what I cannot do. That respect is actually very deep love. And so, as we love, as we respect, as we allow the Lord to work in us, the goal is for us to be like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. and Lord, we pray that in each of our homes that Jesus would be Lord, that there would be no doubt, no question about who really is in charge. Lord, that you would be so in the forefront that those issues that need to be discussed would be discussed through your love and through your grace, through your mercy through your tenderness, your gentleness, your meekness, your self-control. We pray for those that maybe you're struggling. God, maybe their marriage just simply needs a touch from you. We pray that you would reach in and take those difficult areas, those problem areas, those maybe hardened hearts, Lord, and soften them by giving us a view of what you, Jesus, did for us. As husbands, help us to be the type of husbands that are easy to love easy to respect. Lord, help our marriages to represent truly what we'll look like when we get to heaven. Lord, the bride of Christ, spotless and clean, shining, without spot, without wrinkle. Lord, thank you for loving us with our faults and our weaknesses. Thank you for blessing us in spite of our disobedient ways at times. Lord, that is a picture of your great love for us. May we love that way as well. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand?